get to know us, and uh, we get to know them. And uh, so we, uh, we're really quite thrilled. The place is packed out. Uh, we sold 20% more tickets than we had seats for, and, uh, and so that made it every seat was full, and we we're thankful for that. But that was for two seatings, one at 1 o'clock and one at 5. And I just want to say thank you to everybody who helped us with this and participated and prepped and served and ushered and did whatever needed to be done. So thank you for that. And really, you know, Christmas is really all about a time of, of, of just looking to Jesus Christ and remembering uh, that he is, in fact, the reason for the season. Uh, we celebrate Christmas every year, not just so we can get presents. We celebrate Christmas every year to get refocused on Christ and to remember what it was really all about. And so this morning, what I want to do is we want to begin a brand new series uh, called The Beginning, Hope is Born. And for, for some of us, uh, you know, Christmas is very stressful. It's a very stressful time. And, and you start worrying about money and you start worrying about having to see certain family members. Uh, it's a, a, amazing to me how many people try to fix their family at Christmas time, uh, it, and it happens all the time. I don't know. Maybe that's you. I don't know. But uh, I, I want us. I want us to get. I want us to bring Jesus uh, into our family situation, and I want to bring Jesus into in, into into our lives and the way we function. Uh, sadly. Jesus is left out. He's left out far too often, and I'm, I'm going to hopefully show you that this morning. But um, let me just begin by saying that, that Christmas is more than just, uh, just uh, hot chocolate and stockings and warm and fuzzy feelings. Christmas really is, the, is a story of the coming of the King of Kings, it's a story about how our lives are transformed when our hearts are open to Jesus Christ. When we look at the story of the birth of Christ in the Gospels of Matthew and Luke, we find many of the, uh, what we would call the natural elements of the story. We, we find the shepherds there. We, we, uh, we talk about the wise men. We talk about the, the gifts, the gold, frankincense, and myrrh. We, we talk about uh, you know, the animals that were there. We talk about the manger and, and the, the no room in the inn and so on and so forth. And it creates uh, for us a very warm and fuzzy feeling. I want to just show you a few pictures that, that maybe most of us are familiar with. We've seen this many, many times. And so there's, there's, this, there's the elements. There's the magi, uh, who, by the way, were not there uh, on, the, uh, on the, the moment of Christ's birth. He would have, they would have come probably six months to a year, maybe even two years later. Uh, but there's, a, there's the star, which we all know about. There's a little sheep. And in the first service, someone yelled out, there's, there's a, a chicken. I, I don't know what chapter and verse you're going to find that chicken in, but uh, it's there somehow. Uh, maybe because the, the, the notion that Jesus was born in a manger in the barn. There's the cattle. And how many know that the Bible does not speak about any cows being around when Jesus was born? Um, I think we get that notion from the, from the Christmas carol, don't we? The cattle are lowing. Yes, the baby awakes. There's the palm trees. Uh, there's the sheep. Here's another picture, which adds a few more elements. Um, again, there's the star. There's the shepherd, maybe. Uh, there's some angels. Uh, there's the camel, uh, at least one of the camels. There's a donkey. And uh, again, there's that, there's that cow again. And 
hey, you know what? We got, we got camels there because, of, because we assume that the Magi, when they came to, to, to see Jesus, they came on camels. But none of these things really are, are for sure, and, and, and for sure they don't matter. When we talk about Christmas, it really has come down to these images, hasn't it? We all love to have a creche. I know some people, they collect Christmas nativity scenes. They've got them all over the house, all kinds, porcelain, carved out of wood, uh, out of plastic, big, small, all sorts. They collect that because that represents Christmas. This is what the imagery and the symbolism has come down to now. It's come down to, to Jesus, or no, to Jesus, to Santa Claus, whoops, to Santa Claus uh, coming to bring toys to children all over the world. And, and, uh, and, and if you're going to talk about the supernatural, this is about as supernatural as Christmas gets for anybody. The idea that Santa is going to deliver toys to two billion children around the earth. And uh, a surprising thing is that we discover here that Santa Claus is an American. Uh, you'll notice that there's not one but two American flags there. And, uh, and, and as if to, to sort of appease the person that's looking at that, it's sort of a, uh, their, their religious sensibilities, we include a little church there. Do you notice a little church in the bottom left-hand corner? And uh, one gets the feeling that if, if those deer make a wrong move, they're going to be impaled on the spire of that church. But uh, for those of you who are worried that Santa Claus is an American, uh, please be encouraged by this, that Santa's sleigh is also on its way to Canada. Now, we talk about the symbolism and the, the imagery, the, uh, the icons, if you will, of Christmas. Um, and we, we, we particularly see that in Matthew and Luke. We don't see it in the book of Mark uh, but a lot of people don't know that John also has a Christmas narrative. Now, the reason we don't often see the first chapter of John as a Christmas narrative is because we don't see any shepherds, we don't see any angels, it doesn't speak about a star, doesn't speak about a manger, but here's what it does speak about. It speaks about Jesus, and, and, and in fact, it speaks about Christ alone. I'm going to read to you. John's narrative of the Christmas story. And again, it's one that, uh, that a lot of people have not recognized as a Christmas narrative. Let me read it to you. John chapter 1, starting at verse 1. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. And God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. 
They are reborn not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. You recognize that that John is talking about the coming of Jesus Christ. None of the symbols that you and I are familiar with or would naturally associate with Christmas. John speaks of only Jesus. He does not focus on the natural. He focuses, rather, on the supernatural. So the Word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory the glory of the Father's one and only Son. John testified about him when he shouted to the crowds, This is the one that I was talking about when I said, Someone is coming. Someone is coming after me who is far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. And from his abundance, we have all received one gracious blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, but God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the unique one, who is himself God, is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. Now, if we're going to talk about the Christmas story, folks, uh, by all means, that's, you know, I, don't, I have no problem talking about the, the manger and the, and the sh- sheep and the and the shepherds and the wise men. No problem with that. The problem is, is that we get our eyes off of the most important person in the story, and it's Jesus. When we get our eyes off of Jesus, we forget about what Christmas is all about. And this is what happens in, in, all the time in, in many of our own homes and our own lives. We get caught up in the whole Christmas narrative, but forget that at the center of that narrative is Jesus Christ. Now, here's, here's what I want to point out to you today. I want to point out to you that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of every, every human's hope. What is hope? Well, here's a definition. Hope is a feeling of expectation and a desire for something or a certain thing to happen. When a person has hope, oftentimes it's cross your fingers and, and, you know, just hold your breath and hope for the best. Folks, I want to tell you, that kind of hope is worldly hope. But the hope that Jesus gives us is a supernatural hope where it's, where whatever he says comes true 100% of the time. God always keeps his promises. When God is involved, you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God's will will be done. Our hope is not like the world's hope where I hope, I hope it works out. Our hope is a hope that gives us confidence and assurance. Let me give you an example. This past week, I talked to somebody who uh, revealed to me that, that their family, out of the blue, started gambling going to casinos, buying lottery tickets. Uh, they were buying raffle tickets, any, any sort of opportunity to, to, to gamble. And I said, what happened? How did that happen? Because you're a church family. You went to church your whole life. What, what, what went on? And he explained to me that, that whenever they gambled, and, and it, it, it really, he, he's telling me his own personal experience with this. He said, whenever he gambled, he said, I felt hope. 
I had a sense of hope. And I love that feeling of hope. In fact, he said it was almost like a drug. That, that sense that, oh, I bought my ticket, and I think now something good is going to happen. I, I hope. I hope I win. So I said, well, you've spent a lot of money at this. You've lost a lot of money on this. And yet you keep on doing it. Why is that? And, and listen to this. Here's what he said. He said the joy that he felt hoping for a possible win was just as pleasurable as winning. That blew my mind. The hope that he may win. For a whole week, he's dreaming about the great things that he's going to do. And man, he had some great ideas and, and some, remarkable, uh, some remarkable generosity in his dreams and his hopes. And, I said, and, and he told me some of those things. He's going to provide for children in Africa. And uh, he's going to, you know, he's going to help the church out and, and, uh, and hopefully buy the pastor a new car. Uh, I don't know. And it didn't come right out and say it, but I was hoping. <laughs> uh, but he, he, he told the story of how in those moments he felt hope. And with that hope, a great sense of relief in the midst of the stresses of life. This is profound. And when he told me that, I immediately thought of uh, Peter Warren. Does anybody remember Peter Warren with the CJOB? I think it's probably passed away now, but, you know, as a young man and as a child, I remember listening to Peter Warren on CJOB. When casinos came to Winnipeg, when he first set them up, I remember him saying that it was the Sucker's Tax Headquarters. Just, just think about that for a moment. It's a Sucker's Tax Headquarters. He, he, he was appalled that our city was establishing these casinos. He recognized them for what they were, a place of false hope. David Mitchell, who's a, a British comedian, a very, very intelligent Cambridge, Cambridge uh, graduate, he said that the lottery and gambling was actually a tax on hope. A brilliant way to put it. For some of us here today, we've, we've stopped trusting in Jesus. We've stopped putting our hope in Christ, and we've started putting it in lottery tickets and just uh, about all manner of, of other things, which I'm going to talk about in just a moment. Gambling is, in fact, a, a tax on hope. The, the odds of winning one in, I think, 28 million if you are playing, playing the big lotteries... I thought of that passage of scripture in Proverbs 13. Uh, I, I gave you two versions of it because both are so powerful. Uh, these are translations of, of this verse, Proverbs 13, 12. And the NLT, it says, hope deferred, or that is hope put off, makes the heart sick. But a dream fulfilled is a tree of life. Really, this is what, this is what gambling has done. It, is, it creates a sense of, of hope. But that when you don't win, your heart is left sick and empty. And the CEV puts it like this. Not getting what you want can break your heart. But a wish that comes true is a life-giving tree. Folks, some of us here today, maybe you're not gambling, but we've put our hope in other things. And, uh, and again, I'm going to talk about that more in just a moment. But, I, but before I do that, I want to just remind you of something. As people who call themselves followers of Jesus Christ, 
We're a people who have put our hope in Christ, the one who, first of all, has promised us new life in Christ, and some of you have become Christians, some of you are believers today, and you have actually been given new life in Christ. In fact, the Bible says that you are a new creation. And if you are a follower of Christ, then you've experienced that new life. And when you became a Christian, you remember the feeling, don't you? You remember everything became new. The weight was lifted from your shoulders. You had no feeling of, of guilt or shame anywhere because you know that Jesus wiped the slate clean. When you became a Christian, Jesus said, I'm going to give you new life. And I'm going to give you abundant life, a fulfilled life, a sense of joy and happiness. The thing that's supposed to mark the follower of Jesus Christ is that you have joy and you have peace. And yet some of you, you look like you've been baptized in lemon juice. You're just, you're just sour and rare to find a smile on your face. And, and you know what I'm talking about. What happened? I'm going to tell you it's because you've forgotten who you are supposed to be putting your hope in. The other thing that Jesus gives you is eternal life. And this is our hope, that when you die someday, you know that you're going to be with God. You're going to heaven. This is our great hope. But the question is, is how does this live out in our daily lives? How does, how does this work itself out from day to day? Well, before I answer that question, I, let me just demonstrate to you why Santa Claus, the idea of Santa Claus is so appealing, especially to children. Because from the day that we're born almost, the day that we really begin to perceive what's going on around us, uh, our heart wants to hope in something and wants to believe in something. And so the hope then is that Santa Claus is going to come by my house and he's going to come down my chimney and then he's going to leave a present for me. He's going to leave exactly what I want. And we even play little games with our kids, and we tell them, put out the cookies and the milk, and, and uh, we hang, hang your stocking, and magically Santa Claus will appear. Of course, we don't tell the kids that Santa alone has to come to two billion children around the earth. But that's the supernatural aspect of it, isn't it? And that's our hope. Now, we all know it's make-believe, and yet, and yet, we see in this, this human penchant towards hope, hoping for something, hoping that God will do a miracle by letting me win the lottery. It doesn't work that way. And man, if I, if I had five bucks for every time someone said, Pastor, if I win the lottery, you're going to get some, I'd be, doing, I'd be doing pretty good right now. Who's your hope in? And I'm going to tell you, some people here tell Pastor, gambling's not my problem. Oh, you know, gambling might not be your problem, but you may have another problem. And it may be that you put your hope in people. You put your hope in perhaps your marriage partner. You think, man, if I just get married, then all my, uh, all my needs will be met. I'll be a happy, joyful person. And yet... I'll tell you, we see marriage problems galore. In fact, you know, if you look, if you compare the statistics between believers and unbelievers, you'll see that the, that the problems are pretty much the same in both, both camps. What's going on here? I'll tell you what. When you fail to put your hope in Jesus Christ, 
then uh, you are left hopeless and actually in trouble. We see it all the time. Some of you are putting your hope in the inheritance that you're going to get when, you're, when your parents die and you're just sort of waiting patiently for the day. God forbid. How many movies have, have there been created based on that plot or that premise alone? Some of you put your hope in certain political leaders, certain political parties. How many know that Trudeau is not the hope of Canada? Hello? How many know that Trump is not the hope of America? How many know that Jesus Christ is still the hope of both countries? Some of us have put our hope in, in our job, in our career. Some people have put their hope in their own wisdom, their own intelligence. This is why, again, King Solomon says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him. What's, what's, what's Solomon saying? He's saying, don't put your hope in yourself. Put your hope in God. Now, the difference between Christian hope and the hope of this world is that the hope of this world says, it crosses your fingers and you say, I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope I get what I want. The Christian says, I hope that God will meet my needs. I hope that God will take me home to heaven. But he says it with confidence and boldness and assurance. Not with fingers crossed, but with the absolute assurance that God is going to keep his promises. The minute that you forget that God is the one who is going to meet your every need, the moment you forget that God is the one who's going to see you through and help you through whatever it is that you may be going through, that's the moment when you turn your, your eyes on other things, on other people, and yes, even on a lottery ticket. Some people even put their hope in their kids. They live, they live their lives vicariously through their children. And they'll, they'll talk about, my kid is so brilliant. He's got straight A's. My kid, you see, he's a brilliant hockey player. He's a brilliant, he's a brilliant pianist and musician. He's brilliant. And that per, you could just see the parents living his or her life through the kids. And the kids, like, I don't want to do any of this, but I have to do it because my mom or my dad's making me do it. And the parents feels that their hopes will be realized. Their dreams will be realized through their children. The story of Christmas is all about hope, not in ourselves, not in the things of this world, not in the mighty buck, but in Jesus Christ. This is what it's all about. And this is why Isaiah, prophesying, he looks to the future, that day when the Messiah will come, and he says the people who walk in darkness will see a great, great light. That's, that's the hope that Isaiah is preaching. And, of course, you know that the fulfillment of this prophecy is, in fact, Jesus Christ himself. I just read it to you in John chapter 1, John's Christmas story. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. Do you know, uh, in Jesus' day, I've got to give you context. I've got to give you a background. In Jesus' day... Um, anthropologists tell us that nine out of ten people, and I just, just think about that, nine out of ten people are living at subsistence levels. I mean, in Canada, we talk about the poverty line, the poverty level. I mean, our poverty level is extravagant wealth compared to the poverty in Jesus' day. 
Nine out of 10 people are living on the verge of poverty and death and famine and, de- and dying. It, it's just staggering. They tell us there's no middle class. You're either that, you're either that one in 10 that has, has wealth and great wealth or you're almost dead from poverty. Now just think about that. Jesus is born into a world that is in, great, in a great sense of hopelessness and despair and poverty. It was a nation that was very much looking for the coming of a Messiah. Now let's, let's, let's just talk about ourselves for a moment because I know some of you here today are feeling a great sense of hopelessness. You, you, you're struggling in your marriage, you're struggling with your family, you're struggling in your job. There's so many things that are, are difficult for you to cope with right now. And, and quite frankly, you maybe even said it this week, I can't go on another day. I don't know how I can face, I can face another day. I don't know how I'm going to make it. Folks, this is what our faith is all about. It's all about learning what it means to trust in Jesus, who is our hope. And the psalmist said that anyone who puts their hope in God will never be put to shame. And so you and I have learned what it means to put our hope in Christ and in Christ alone. And the Bible's clear that God will never let you down. He'll never fail you. But the problem is some of us have lost our hope. We've lost our faith. We're not trusting Jesus as we know we ought to. Isaiah's looking to the future, the coming of Jesus. And then suddenly John tells us, the one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world and has now come. This is what Christmas is about. Jesus, who is our hope. Jesus is the one who is going to give you that new life. He's going to give you that abundant, rich, satisfying life, that life that puts a smile on your face and fills your heart and your mind with peace. Jesus, the light of the world, was going to give you eternal life. That's what Christmas is really all about. And that's what John's narrative is all about. It's about Jesus, the hope of the world bringing light to all who put their faith in Christ. John's telling us that Jesus is the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. Jesus is the light. Now, here's what I know. I know that some of us here today have got our eyes off of Jesus and we're doing this and we're hoping hoping, hoping that things work out right, hoping we win that lottery, hoping I win that bingo game. You know, when I was a a young teenager, I'd hear about people going to bingo, and it never made any sense to me. In fact, to be honest with you, I, I, I laughed, and I even mocked it. Why would people go to bingo? Well, I know now, now that I'm older and wiser, I know exactly why people go to bingo. Because for one evening, in the course of their dreary life, there's a hope that maybe they're going to win 100 bucks, 200 bucks, or whatever the jackpot is. And people are serious about this, folks. I've heard of fights breaking out in bingo halls. 
because I've got 12 cards here and I got my bingo dabbers and I'm listening to those numbers and you tried to interfere, you tried to interrupt, you tried to talk to me while I was in the middle of dabbing my bingo cards and you messed up my game. And for that, you're going to die. Hey, we're talking about hope, people. This is serious business. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to win 100 bucks here tonight. And if you hadn't talked to me, I would have won it. But you're the reason I failed. Wow. And the irony is that the, the Roman Catholic Church for many years, they were the ones that were running the bingos. And it's an irony that's not too funny. Folks, listen to me. At the end of the day, the thing that matters most is you put your faith in Jesus Christ not in bingo, not in the lottery, not in your spouse, your kids, not, not in your job, not in your money. You're putting your faith in Jesus Christ, who is your hope. The question is, how do I keep that hope alive? How do I, how do I keep trusting? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. At our church, we teach what we call the seven habits of a serious Christ follower. And at the top of the list is a simple habit called a daily walk with God. You may have come from a background where maybe you called it doing your devotions every day, whatever you want to call it. It's about connecting with God. It's about your heart connecting with the heart of God. And I'm going to tell you, whenever your heart connects with the heart of God, what you're doing is you're flaming the flame of hope in your heart. When you fail to connect with God, when you fail to pray, when you fail to read your Bible every day, then your hope begins to wane until you have to start putting your, your hope in something else. Maybe that's where you are right now. Well, the good news is that the Holy Spirit has led you here this morning to be reminded that your hope is in Christ alone. And anyone who puts their hope in Christ will never be put to shame. In other words, whatever God has promised is going to come to pass because you put your hope in Christ. We talk about faith, hope, and love. Most of us know about love and we know about faith, but hope is kind of an odd thing. We don't really know what it is. Well, this morning I'm telling you, hope is is the assurance, the confidence, the boldness. I believe that Jesus is going to keep his promise to me every single time. When Jesse, my son, was just a young boy, he said to me, out of the blue, he said, Dad, I love promises. I said, why, why would you say that? And I'm going to tell you very plainly, uh, when Gloria and I make a promise, We'd rather die than break a promise. And this is something that our children know. And so Jesse is just a young kid said, I love promises. And here's why. It's because when I make a promise, I keep it. Now let the Spirit of God speak to you right now because when God makes a promise, he keeps it. And your hope is in a God who never breaks his promises. Your hope is in a God who will fulfill all that he says he's going to do. When you became a Christian, you got new life. When you became a Christian, Jesus promised you what? Eternal life, abundant life. And that's yours in Christ. Getting back to devotions, that daily time of prayer, 
where you talk to God and reading your Bible and God speaks to you. You open your Bible and let God speak to you and you let your heart be filled once again with the hope of heaven. And that's what's going to sustain you. No more living like this, people. No more crossing your fingers and hoping things work out. Start walking in boldness and confidence and say, I know whom I have believed and I am persuaded that he is able. He's able to do what? He's able to do everything he promised you. He's promised to meet your needs. He's promised to meet your needs. My God shall supply all my needs according to what? His glorious riches in Christ Jesus. He's promised to care for you, meet your every need. Jesus was born into this earth so that I could have a new life. And I'm going to close with this. John tells us in in that first chapter, but to all who believed in him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. Hey, when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, here's what happens. You put your faith in Jesus Christ, you put your hope in Christ, when you say, Christ, come into my life, here's what happens. You are a new creation. You are born again. You are now part of the family of God. Do you think the father knows how to take care of his children? I know so. I don't hope so. I know so. And I can tell you, after serving Jesus Christ since I was eight years old, I can tell you that God has never, ever, ever let me down. He has never failed me. He has always, always fulfilled his every promise. And I guarantee you he'll do that for you. Would you stand with me, please? Father, we want to say thank you today for the hope that's ours in Jesus Christ. God, we put our hope in the wrong things. So often we put our hope in the wrong things. Like children who believe in Santa Claus, God, we have believed in, in fantasies and fairy tales and hoped against hope that we would get the thing that we're looking for. God, you're calling us today to return to you, to put our faith in you, to put our hope and our trust in you. God, we thank you today that your Holy Spirit dwells within us and gives testimony to this in our hearts. We know that what we've heard today is true. And some of us need to get back on our knees and start connecting with God again. For some of us, it's been a long time since we opened our Bible. It's been a long time since we prayed. For some of us, we've been praying, reading our Bibles, but we haven't got any results, and we wonder why. Well, we know, God, it's, it's because so often our hope is not in you. So, Father, we pray that you'd bring alignment now, bring alignment in our lives so that our hope and our time of prayer and reading the word is aligned so that our trust is in you and in you alone. God, thank you. Thank you for what you want to do in the hearts of your people. And may this Christmas be a wonderful time of celebration, remembering that Jesus loves us. 
that Jesus died for us on the cross, that Jesus took away our sin, that Jesus created a brand new creation in each and every one of us. And we pray that for Christ's sake. And everyone said it with me? Tell the person beside you, put your hope in Jesus.